got some audio rolling too. You want to test your mic? Let's see if it's sit at your full. Oh, there we go. Is it comfy there? Yeah, that's. Oops. <laughs> Many people. I've had some guests that are very animated, so they hit the <laughs> the boom a lot. <laughs> I yeah. I doesn't it's surprise all, me. It's all good. All right, comfy. Yeah. Cool. Very very all comfy. Right. Well, welcome everyone to episode six of Nanya. The business podcast all about game-changing entrepreneurs of Vancouver. And so I'm your host, Skylar Dietz. And today in the studio, we have the owner and co-founder of Wise Monkey Coffee Leaf Tea, the Wise CEO himself, Max Rivet. Welcome How's to the going? show. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. So I, I think I got your last name correct this time. Yeah. I've mispronounced it before. It's all good. Everyone does. Okay. Yeah. What's the worst you've got? Uh, everyone who says rye vest. Rye vest. I mean, it's French Canadian. It's like a silent S and T. So it's you know, I'm not expecting people to to get it unless they speak French. I I said rivest the very first time. Yeah, that's how people use it. Okay, say. all right. Well, I, I and I cheated. I actually had to. <laughs> it wasn't until I I was going to ask you, but I, it wasn't until I heard your podcast saying your own name oh. that I was like, oh, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> No worries. My co-founder yep. gets it way worse. Oh, really? His name is way trickier than mine, so I, I still have the easy end. Remind me what his name is. Uh, Arnaud Petitvalier, but yeah. everyone says Arnaud, or like they think he says Aldo sometimes. Like, it's just, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, we're, you know, we're foreigners at, at heart, basically. It's much easier to say Wise Monkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, I'm the owner of Wise Monkey. Or oh. just Wise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, okay. building, we're building everything in that brand, really. Like, that's the foundation of the whole company. It's just the kind of the prefix of, like, that's why we have the Wise Cast, the Wise Collective, et cetera. Like, a bunch it's of different a little huge, properties. It's basically, yeah. No, I've seen this. Basically, how you're branding everything. W-I-Z-E. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I love, I started listening to your podcast um, today. And um, you're, I think it was the first episode, you're interviewing one of your, one of, another one of your co-founders. Is that right? Uh, or no, no, no. He wasn't your co-founder. No, he, he was the founder of faculty. That's right. Yeah. Mauricio. Mauricio. That's right. And I think I, it's funny. I think I, I think I accidentally emailed him just the other day about Beer Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, actually, it was very intentional, but I think he was the one who responded. So, huh. yeah. So He's I, a beauty, man. Yes. He's got a good story. That's, yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear, to hear more about that. Um. I want to ask you though, first off, um, Wise Monkey, Coffee Leaf Tea, and your slogan is "Think Outside the Bean." Now, what does that mean? Um, you know, it's the twist on "Think Outside the Box." In our sense, the idea of "Think Outside the Bean" is basically you can look at it two different ways. One is being creative with a coffee plant and using something that's other than just the bean itself. And using the leaf, which is, at the end of the day, the, the majority of the plant is really leaves. Um, and then when you look at uh, things about just different types of thinking, you know, again, it's a play on think outside the box, just being creative. And for us, it was a way to express both of those notions at the same time, like doing something innovative, but also connected directly to the concept of the product that we're using the leaf and not the, the actual bean itself. Right. Because, because that's really important to not only to your product, but also to the, the process that you're involved with. So because I, I did some research and, and your, um, your online presence is very informative, but basically it's because the coffee bean, the big premise behind it is the coffee bean is only harvested 30% of the year. Yeah, right? basically it's like three months a year. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, and the rest of the year they have, well, there's 
there's like the cycle base i'll just break down the cycle real quick sure. essentially from december to like february march depending on your regions you're going to be harvesting the coffee bean and that's when it's ripe and it's ready to go and then the other nine months a year basically is where the leaves just grow and then they're trimming off things for maintenance so they're trimming off extra leaves extra branches that are maybe not in like the ideal placement to have the best bean growth and all those extra leaves typically just go to mulch There's or just tossed, get tossed right? yeah and um and on top of that every seven years every like a, a plant on a seven-year cycle it'll grow pretty large about six you know they always keep it around six feet tall after seven years they cut the whole plant off and they leave just leave like a foot tall stump to then regenerate the whole growth and so with all those plants that get topped on, at the seven year cycle and you know individual lots are like all in a schedule right so about 10 percent of the whole farm gets cut every seven years and all those extra leaves basically would just go to mulch uh contributing to biomass etc these are all and, like useful yeah the majority leaves. of them the majority of them are some of them are like too old some of them are too young we kind of have like a sweet spot of the leaves that we pick yeah how what is um, that sweet spot can't tell you okay right 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 <laughs> trade secret IP, yeah. of course yeah. um but beyond that like basically the idea is like we're trying to find a way to upcycle the byproducts that is complementary to the existing production people make this assumption it's a very trite assumption that we go in there and just like shave all the plants off you know and we take all the leaves and, and then leave and then the the beans are screwed. That would, yeah, that would there's screw no way, up the rest. There's no of the way process, we would right? do that because it makes no sense. And like that's a more the, sustainable approach because that, yeah. you're considering the bean production as well instead of yeah. instead of ruining the bean production. It's fully complementary. And so right. at this point, you know, and people say that uh, we might be taking out biomass. At the same time, if you consider like on our farm where our third co-founder is Enrique and he's the farm owner, we're one of the only companies in the world like that. Um, he has like banana eucalyptus guava nettle etc like all these types of different trees and bushes that are interspersed all over these crops and like one banana leaf is like you know it's like six feet long about two feet wide they're huge and they grow like crazy and so with those like they keep they keep growing them for shade but also just to keep uh, uh keep putting more back into the soil in terms of biodiversity and nitrogen uh and and just uh, biomass as well so if you consider one of these banana leaves and there's like hundreds of thousands of them on his farm, one of those leaves represents like a thousand coffee leaves. Right. And so overall biomass, we've done all the math with him. Like we're basically extracting what is 0.1% of the total farm's biomass, you know, at, at most. Right. And so in the end, it's like it, it has a neg uh, negligible change in terms of its total, um, again, total biomass in terms of like a closed loop system. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, they're making a, a, a year round income, have more foreseeability on the, during the off season. And right now the situation in Nicaragua is, is not great politically speaking. And the, uh, economy's kind of shot locally tourism's dead. Uh, you know, there's no jobs in the area. And so this past harvest we did in the summertime when it was the off season, um, it was the most critical it's ever been for people to actually get the off season income. So, right. so it's actually like. Uh, we that, we intended to help in the beginning just in the off season and now with this political stuff happening and the local economy just being shut down basically it was more impactful than ever and we never foresaw that but it's like we're just like holy crap it's actually becoming really integral for their you know quote unquote survival throughout the summer i don't want to say that it sounds kind of uh, intense but it, it's you know it's true to some respects yeah in a way so yeah that's right because you're are all your farms based in nicaragua 
We have one single farm in yeah. Nicaragua nice. where the farmers are co-founder. Right, Enrique. Yeah. Um, and I really love that model. So explain to the listeners like um, your philosophy, but also like your actual practice on splitting the ownership with um, what would other people would usually go as like a third party. Um, so explain, explain that. Yeah, so it came to the point where we realized that Enrique is just really brilliant. Right. He's a third generation farmer. Um, we got introduced to him from an ethical coffee buyer that we had met just doing several trips to Nicaragua. Um, eventually, you know, you run into the same people. Um, and at the same time, we were speaking with the Nicaraguan government before all the political stuff happened last right. year. Mm -hmm. This is like four or five years ago. Right. And they also recommended that we speak with Enrique. And we had already just met him. And so oh, wow. we so knew. So he's the, the guy. The guy, yeah. Wow. And he's like the, the, he's like the best in the country, the most innovative. And he's got a full system in-house, basically, from machinery, et cetera, to go direct to export. Whereas a lot of the, or like 99.9% .9 of the growers basically have to go to a, what you would call a beneficio, which is like a catchment center, where they would pay you for the grade and for the weight of your coffee depending on what the world market price is at the, on that day. Oh, okay. And then uh, they'll take all that, they'll process it to the dried bean, like the final form before you ship it for export. So then a roaster could eventually roast it. So he has, he's got the whole system in house. So they always, the, the farmers, farmers always have to go through a, like a broker essentially. Yeah, almost. Okay. Yeah. Basically like that. It, there's always another middleman involved. And like, that's been the challenge with coffee, especially for the small holders. Reduce like the small their margins. Holders. Because Dramatically. they can't really add that much value at the end of the day. And it becomes like really strictly a commodity. And so in our situation, the concept from using the leaf is that anyone can actually make the tea on their farm with really basic equipment. Like it's not fancy. Mm. And it's a lot of it's a lot of our process is inspired and adapted from the traditional tea world that has been using very rudimentary tools and techniques for over 3000 years. And so the the mindset that we have around this is like every farmer can now use the leaf in the off season and make their own batches and learn how it tastes see how the different processing changes the flavor and the taste there's also the sub varietals of arabica coffee that change the flavor in the end so like if you use a specific type of arabica coffee you'll have a different flavor uh, ranging on you know anything from being more floral to something being more earthy something to be more sweet and kind of cherry tasting so that's like the complexity is like endless man you but can I make guess, so many but i suppose that because it's just like the way the the coffee plant is is red um you have your work cut out for you when it comes to variety when right there's when, so much man yeah. there's so many hybrids and everything like it just never ends um mm -hmm. which is awesome because like you have this already complex base from just regionally from having terroir and then you have all the varietals of coffee leaf that you can play with um, and even blending those. And then on top of that, you have the extra complexity of the processing, which is, uh, you know, largely the, the major impact in terms of flavor and like the final beverage profile. And what convinced Enrique? Because you obviously, originally you're probably just trying to just understand the business and just understand what coffee leaf was all about and just kind of navigating the opportunities. Was that what it was in the beginning? Just like getting knowledge from the master and then it turned into something afterwards? Um, in the very beginning, we, it's actually a funny story. We went down to Nicaragua knowing that there was a, there was a tea, like an herbal tea company locally. 
we like this is it all started in France when we were doing our masters, um, and we came up with this idea because I saw an article about the health benefits of the coffee leaf, how it's been consumed as like a, a really basic tea with no processing at all, really, in uh, in parts of Africa and Southeast Asia for hundreds of years, but no one's ever really explored it beyond that, um, and we eventually called like every. Uh, Central American, South American tea brand and company to see if they'd want to partner on something like this, like a pilot project, basically. And we got no responses except for one or two that were like, yeah, our minimums are like X amount and they were massive. And we're like, well, we've never done this. So right. going to like a thousand kilo minimum is useless. Like we're never going to get there in the first go. Um, so eventually we got an answer back from these guys in Nicaragua. And I'd I had already been in Nicaragua twice just for uh, some school related work and then some travel um and so it was kind of an easy thing to say yes to because it was the only option we had yeah. and i'd also been there so we knew that at least we would have somewhere where we could kind of dry the leaves or process them in a certain fashion with professionals that have the right gear and the right packaging etc at least to get things going um and then we still need to find a farmer so after the school year we finished up um and we just flew down to nicaragua basically and started going to like every single co-op every single farm we could find and this get is you with. and arno yeah me arno. and arno on, on our first trip down there to set this thing up and then on the on the very first weekend we were there we went to this waterfall just because like it's a saturday we're like well all the offices are closed because you know? it's a waterfall because <laughs> it's a waterfall <laughs> it's su it. super beautiful yeah. so we, we're going there we're filming and just like you know whatever and this this like uh small pit bull not to not to um you know uh paint dot like pit bulls with a broad stroke but there was this young pit bull that was like kind of scared of my camera and i tried to pet him and it's like my fault too and he ended up kind of biting my hand a little bit like not crazy but i got a little scar here it's not oh. nothing nuts it, it wasn't bad at all um but the owner of the dog is like oh my god i'm so sorry he came up and he's like i study in the u.s i speak english i was like well i you know speak spanish whatever like you can speak okay. spanish right um and he like apologized profusely um eventually um we see him a week later in the in like one of the local bars like this really cool bar that only existed for like six months called graffiti lounge uh -huh. it was so sick because you could just graph anything inside there oh, to, to some extent yeah with a bit of permission but um, but yeah, super sick. And then we met the guy and he's like, Hey, like, how is your hand? Like, are you okay? Like whatever, all this stuff. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, what are you guys doing in town? Like, are you part of, you know, one of the missionary groups or are you part of an NGO? Like there's a lot of activity like there of Westerners going down and it's always like some sort of uh, social impact thing or you're strictly in coffee buying. Like that's the major thing. Right. Okay. If they see you in town, like more often and you're still there, they're like, okay, they're in town doing something versus just being a transient, uh, like traveler, just a backpacker or a traveler. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So eventually we're like, yeah, we're looking for coffee farmers. Uh, you know, we need someone reliable. We have a kind of a secret project we're working on right now. And he's like, Oh dude, you got to talk to my uncle. And so we got hooked up with his uncle like oh, two weeks later. Um, started producing with him in the beginning for about a year, in a year and a half, two years. Dude started getting super shady on us. Oh. Like, yeah, it was really unfortunate. Uh, he basically wasn't fulfilling his end of the deal by actually maintaining a specific lot of leaves of, of coffee plants for us. And we went down there to go check it out. And, like, it was just – it was – can I use the word – the S word? It was a shit show. Dude. <laughs> yeah, for it sure. It was a shit show. Like, there was no maintenance of at all. The plants are in terrible shape and we're there like two guys like mid 20s, you know, 
we don't have any sort of like backup or whatever. We're very much on our own. And we're trying to tell this guy like, dude, you're not holding up your end of the deal. Um, at the same time, on that trip in 2016, this after about two years working with him and still like very like lots of issues and whatever. At the same time, we just got introduced to Enrique. And so we went to Enrique's farm to check it out kind of, you know, behind the scenes. And of all things to happen that day, there's a like one of the organic fertilizer salesmen shows up at the farm where we're there with Enrique, like doing this like pilot test of like, okay, like how can we, we're kind of teaching him how to do it. And, and then eventually like the dude's like, oh, aren't you working with, uh, you know, Roberto, the other guy? I were like, yeah, but like, this is the scaled step, you know, like it's it written in our contract where we're looking for secondary sources to go beyond and, and, you know, just grow from there. And it's all, in, it's all in the papers, you know, it's all mm -hmm. there, but he didn't see it that way. Oh. So the dude, like by the time we get back to town, cause there's no reception at the farm. By the time we get back to town, I, my, my phone starts getting flooded with all these texts from our first farmer. Who's like, oh, well, breach of contract. All this is like, dude, you've been breaching for six months. We've been giving you like so much leeway. Right. And, uh, and it's also says in the contract, like we're allowed to look for secondary sources to grow beyond. Um, and the dude started getting so shady and he's like, yeah, I'm going to hold you in the country. I have contacts in the military, which is true. Cause he has like a, he used to be a, a U.S. Marine first recon Whoa. and like, yeah, shady. <laughs> okay, right. So, so you're the, like, actually, all... this might actually be a problem. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. And so the, that was the challenge it was like in the beginning, it was wow. the first guy we could finally get a hold of that had like a decent sized farm, very high quality. Mm -hmm. um, he spoke English, which just helps to alleviate a few of the ambiguities. Like Spanish is where our Spanish is pretty good, but like the English just helps to kind of get things done a bit quicker Especially when it comes to like business and contracts and yeah, yeah yeah and international stuff and so we're like okay well he looks he's got a weird past fair enough but he's really the only option we have and this was at the time it's and experimental then, at the time right? yeah Anyways. totally and then eventually you know he tried to sue us and all this stuff and we're like man like we're all we're offering you to pay out the rest of the contract and you're coming back with like these massive amounts of money that you want to charge us and it's like dude this you know this is never going to happen like we don't even have the money anyways um, mm -hmm. and so we try to do it like amicably and be like, Hey, well, whatever, like take the rest of the money, the contract, like it's already very generous considering you haven't even delivered on anything. And so these are like, you know, there's more details I can get into. I'm not going to bother, <laughs> but like, these are the things you're dealing with on the fly in Nicaragua, you know, when you're mid twenties and that night when, when all this stuff kind of blew up in our face that night, I called my other buddies, um, the boy brothers from Kelowna, they own a resort down in San Juan del Sur. And I was like, I need a rock solid lawyer ASAP and contacted one. The next morning I was already on my way to Managua, the capital city at like 7 a.m. to meet with a lawyer. And uh, eventually it all got settled. You know, basically there was no major issues. But like these are like the surprise moments where you're like, we're supposed to fly out in like four days. And this guy's claiming he's going to call his guys in the military to hold us in the country. Like that's a little worrisome. I just wanted you know? to see a waterfall, <laughs> <laughs> but but like it yeah. just it just really messes with your head because you're like, man, we're just trying to like create impact and and change how the industry operates. Use your powers for good, and that yeah, like yeah. you know, use the opportunity to to make real social impact and and actually like something with longevity, not just like a one off you know project, but something that actually has holistic growth for everyone. You know, but Roberto was just was just extremely short sighted and also just. <laughs> It's unfortunate, too, because, like, I he guess. had an opportunity to make a lot of money himself, you know, and he was trying to be really greedy and, like, short change the whole thing. Yeah. 
and the funny part is like every few months i still get him i still get an invite from him on linkedin and i'm like oh, dude no. are you kidding me man like <laughs> just get out of here we're like, done man yeah so funny like one of the you know kind of interesting weird stressful stories uh we dealt with really early on just getting things set up like let alone not even like at that point we were we had just started selling a little bit but the issue was like we couldn't fulfill any of the demand because our first guy wasn't fulfilling don't the, have product. the product yeah. we didn't have the product and we like kept going back and back and be like yo this is so haggard like none of your guys are working on this right now it's just me and arno like doing everything like from harvesting to processing and everything ourselves and with the odd help we could get when those guys you know weren't busy doing something else so there was no support and then to kind of go back to your question when we met enrique we we talked about the concept with him and like immediately you could tell he had like all these ideas in his head he had like his wheels returning you're just he's like wow this is a really cool idea and like the best thing of all it tastes good right like it actually tastes really good you know and it's not bitter like traditional tea so it has its own value proposition even though it has similar caffeine uh similar or even competitive uh antioxidant content like more antioxidants and so you know for him it was like well i do coffee three months a year you know, we have about on the high end, like 1500 staff during the coffee season. And then during the off season, we have like 40 staff, like everyone leaves. Right. It's brutal. And like, and there's no work. And so everyone's migrating. Their kids have to change schools when the parents move or they just don't have enough money. So they just take them out of school. Um, and like the kids have to help find odd jobs to make ends meet and things like that. So it's like super volatile industry and mm -hmm. it's extremely like uh, boom and bust in that sense. So he was ready to jump in business-wise, like right from the get, or yeah, he's like interested. It, because no one had ever done this before, we didn't know what the costing would look like at scale mm -hmm. from like a proper, you know, uh, like an enterprise level kind of model in terms of like how much it costs in terms of time and what's your yield at the end of the day. And, you know, how much time does it take to process it properly, consistently, and then where does that cost? And then how in? much can I charge for this? Because you have to be competitive in That's the thing, North yeah. American markets. Yeah, so right? we, we found a structure where um, where his workers already get paid uh, above the average pay, and they also get a meal every day, and, like, they're treated very well. Um, and we know this because we go around and we would ask, like, you know, random guys we're working with in the fields be like, so how long you been here? Like, what's, you know, what's your deal? And he's like, oh, I've been here for five years. And like most people say four or five years at least. Right. And a lot of the other farms we were at, co-ops included, they're all transient. Like every single year they're at a new place because like they don't, you know, the, the, the farm owners aren't dying for workers. The workers are the ones dying for the jobs. Right. But the ones that get hired on Enrique's farm, they stick around and they do everything they can to stay. Cause because it's the best possible condition. Because they're treated very well there. Yeah. So that was like another like kind of, backdoor validation we wanted to kind of check with things like and it's not just like a fancy veneer you know because right. like it's really easy not to like underpaid off. employees just because they're desperate or anything like that exactly and right. so um at the end of the day like when we toured the farm we saw the quality he was he was pumping out already you know he's already selling to starbucks stump town uh you know all these guys in the uk and japan taiwan etc like he's he's already very well established and and he's he knows that coffee is really tricky and the pricing uh, at export is really bad. And so they're barely making money if they make anything. And it's very, very volatile. And so for him, it was like, well, I'm cutting these leaves all the time. And I have workers in the summer that are always looking for work, mm -hmm. you know, and this offers us an opportunity to sell something independent of the world market pricing because it's not it's not on the on the New York Commodity Index. 
You right. know what I mean? Like this is an independent thing. So we It's very like it's very cutting edge. It's innovative. It's yeah, it's, it's out, brand again, new. it's like outside think outside the bean. It's like right. completely outside the context of like what is the world trade market with coffee, et cetera, where it's again again incredibly volatile and sensitive to supply and demand. And so in this in this way we set up the pricing so that the workers still get paid well, like obviously that's the, the base to start. And then he can still make a bit of a margin to ensure that everything runs smoothly and he can reinvest in the farm. And then we can still have a bit of a margin once we get to retail. But once we get to retail, you know, we still have to pay our co-packers. We still have to pay for all the packaging. We still have to pay for, you know, sales reps and all the overheads, et cetera. And so it's, you realize in the end, you're like, everyone's like, <laughs> this is the funny thing that we always, the two questions we get in the beginning, it's like, oh, so you just like shave all the leaves off and like take it out. And we're and like, just put no. it in some hot water. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like a million times more complex than right. that. We have to figure out how to actually harvest it efficiently and also uh, strategically for the plant to have optimal like health growth. After yeah, because that. you're not, you're literally, yeah, because otherwise you just throw it in a wood chipper or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Right? It's not at all that simple. And then the other thing people always thought, they're like, oh, so the leaves are free. And it's like, dude, nothing is free in this world. <laughs> and if it was for free, like we wouldn't even feel comfortable doing that. Like we yeah. still have to pay someone anyways. And so we're paying basically on like a kilo price uh, with Enrique that we've agreed on on our own thing. And then uh, that way it's a set price. Everyone knows what's up, you know. And uh, in terms of like the ownership thing uh, with our kind of unique structure with actually the, the farmer being a, a major shareholder um, is it was it came down to this. It was like we had already created some demand. We had an existing brand and it was great. But our source was flaking on us and Enrique's farm is like next level amazing and he's just such an incredible mind um, he's very innovative very creative guy and we're like you know what without you we don't we're, we're screwed basically right. so like at this point like you know we could offer you like five percent equity to kind of like keep you interested mm -hmm. but you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting as well and so at the end of the day we're like we just didn't feel comfortable like trying to give him like a low equity kind of thing. And we're like, dude, screw all this like semantics crap. Like just clear the air. Yo, split three ways. You do production. Arno does finance logistics. I'll do marketing. And boom, we're a fucking team of three brothers. And let's just get it going. Yeah. And and that was like by far the, the one of the best decisions we've ever made. It like felt right. It just felt. Oh, like yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And like I've been a hockey player my whole life, you know, and if, if you have people on your on your line or on your team that are really greedy it shows right and it and comes your whole out team suffers exactly and it all suffers and so we didn't want to be in the situation down the road where it's like oh well he only has a little bit of equity so like whatever screw his views and it's like at the end of the day he's the guy who's making the product and getting it up here so like why would you ever stiff that person he's in the trenches and yeah literally yeah. on the ground and exactly right, so okay. he was so integral to the business and it was just a fair thing to do you mm -hmm. know it, at the end of the day like that's what's a few percentage points of a company that fails versus like something that where everyone gets a good deal in the end and it actually succeeds. Yeah. And yeah. Cause looking back, this has been a few years now that you've partnered with Enrique and looking back, that was probably the most important decision. It was one the of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it keeps him involved obviously because he knows that there's an upside for him and, and that's also looks good for when you talk to investors as well. Right. Cause they're like, Oh, well we know this guy's got skin in the game. He's going to stick around. He's not just going to up and leave. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's another, you know, a bunch of other factors there involved, but it was definitely something that we always wanted to accomplish is to have like the full spectrum built into the team. Because mm -hmm. you're not just a couple of 
um, recent grads experimenting with something new. You're you're involved with these experts, these third generation experts that are so deeply ingrained in the in the culture, and they're and they already and and the and the business side of it already. Yeah. So they 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 understand the plant. They understand. Uh, they have the connections with well with the beans, anyways. But I'm sure that has a lot of translation when it comes to the leaf and harvesting yeah, man. production. Like, we've learned so much. It's mm-hmm. insane. Just from like a biolo- uh, biology perspective, from an agronomy perspective, and beyond that, uh, in terms of a final product, in terms of like the processing method and how it changes flavor and like different notes that you get from different methods and different types of varietals and things like that. Like it's just... It's crazy. It's been an amazing experience just to like learn a million things I'd never think I'd know. You yeah, know? I had no clue I would be in this type of business when I was at school. Because you stumbled, you. I mean, yeah, you kind of stumbled into it essentially, but like yeah, it was yeah. through a personal experience that led you to some research, and then it dove, you dove into it. So tell us about that. You you shared yeah. it with me before, and I, I you shared it a million times, I'm sure. But it started with bad coffee or not a bad coffee but a bad coffee experience oh my right? god yeah yeah tell yeah. us about that so um i i um i basically i worked in vancouver after university i was in like a cubicle job and i was drinking like five coffees a day because i was bored basically right and um and <laughs> when i went to france i was like hey screw this like i'm not, i can't i hate this company i need to go find something else and I, I might as well improve my education and uh, and use my passport because I might have a French family. Um, I was losing my French too, living here and not really speaking it. So I was like, I might as well go back there and like at least you know get it back and not lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to school, and uh, on the side, I've always been doing freelance design and brand consulting and things like this. And I was working with a local agency here uh, on a few contracts. And that was like in the end of November, they dropped this like huge deadline thing right on my lap being like, you just got to get done in like 10 days. Like, you know, sorry, but help us out here. We're like, hey, well, you're my homies. Let's do this. Right. At the same time, we were hitting finals for that semester at school. Oh. So, yeah. So I was like, this was the cycle. Like I was, I would get up at 7 a.m. I would make like a tall drip, like a big one like this in a thermos. I drink half of that on my way to school. I would get to school, add an espresso to it. And then I would have another coffee and another espresso after lunch. And then I'd get home after school, make dinner. I would make coffee again around 7 p.m. And then I would work. Just to stay up. I would work till 4 a.m. to be on the nine-hour time difference in Vancouver. Wow. It was the time difference thing that was the issue. If there was plenty of time ahead to make the project, I wouldn't have to worry about the the time scales because I would just deliver it and email it and it's done. But the fact that it was like we needed live communication all the time to get through a bunch of stuff really fast. Yeah. I was up till 4 a.m. and then trying to go to bed and waking up at 7. I did that for like 10 days. And it basically it got to the point where I was sitting in class on a Thursday at 1130 in the morning. And I just like felt outside of my body. Like I was like having like heart palpitations. I felt sick, but not like like I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't feel like I was like had a stomach bug. I didn't feel like I had a flu or a cold. It was different. Like it was pins and needles everywhere. It was maybe kind of like a fever, but like, I don't know, like like chemical poisoning is what it felt like right. and by the time i, I left class I was like i'm out of here like i gotta go figure this out and i at a left class i went home as soon as i got home like i didn't even feel anything but as soon as i got home all of a sudden i just like puked my guts out man it was wow. so bad and then everything else came out of my body and i'm not going to go through the details <laughs> um and so i went to the doctor and he's like yeah like you had like an acute uh, caffeine overdose Whoa. too much coffee 
get off coffee, you know, try drinking tea. And being in the south of France, the guy, the doctor also recommends, like, also drink a little bit of red wine. It might help. And yes, I was like, of course. What? You're like, sure. not a problem. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. Something more oui. acidic. We oui, doctor. Yeah, exactly. So uh, eventually I started looking at tea and growing up in North America without having a family that has any sort of tea culture built in. Like my tea knowledge was obviously very limited. And North America, like I'm, I, I grew up without any coffee tea at all, but like I don't. I did. I was grew up in Alberta, and tea's not really a thing there, right? No, it's not like you see the odd hippie, right? But that's that's the thing about it's it, like, or old lady. But it's like the you know, I was just reading an article about this. Um, one of the major publications that are kind of global review companies about like beverages, they just published a, a section on on how the UK is having a tea problem, how coffee is booming in the UK now because there's all these really cool brands that are making it interesting, oh. and tea has a really bad image problem and in north america i would echo a similar thing where here if you drink tea you're looked at as like someone weak or like someone that has uh low self-esteem trying to lose weight or like you're a hippie granola that's like whatever you know right that is paper thin and you can you know knock out in a punch kind of thing okay and and, and it's like it's so ridiculous because so the image isn't in the opposite. tea itself the image is on the people who consume it well, I don't know. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far as that, but oh. but like societally, people think that tea is just for weaker people, or it's just for girls. Like in a lot of ways, especially sure. being males in like an athletic scenario, they see tea as like, oh yeah, you want a it's real soft. drink? Yeah, it's soft, right? Right. You got to drink a coffee if you want to get the real shit done. If you want to like power through and and whatever. I did that. I powered through hard. Yeah. And I paid for it, man. You went and a little too far with that. You dude, took that little bit too, but like, too much to heart. But it was like the Silicon Valley mentality, the same thing, where you're like sleeping in your cubicle and drinking coffee nonstop. Right. And at the end of the day, you finish with heart palpitations and like an extremely acidic stomach and your digestion's off, your sleep is off, your adrenals are drained, your nervous system is shot because you're always in fight or flight. And so, and like this is all cortisol response stuff. You can research that. Um, and so, anyways, long story. Eventually, after looking at all the options for tea, I was like, okay, well, like Lipton's, Lipton or Twining's, like whatever. So mm -hmm. I don't love it. And I don't like the taste because it's bitter. And I don't want to add sugar or milk. I'd rather just have a regular drink on its own that's just like perfect and, it's, and there's no calories or whatever because I'm still doing a lot of athletics and I still want the caffeine. Um, and then literally like three weeks later after I went through this thing, I had this, uh, this email newsletter I follow and there's an article about the coffee leaf and how – it's been studied for like all these crazy health benefits. It's been around for hundreds of years in Ethiopia, but never really kind of brought to market or explored beyond a few reports in these journals from the 1800s and 1700s from these Europeans in Indonesia and in Ethiopia, et cetera. And I have, I have references for that. I'll give you a link to an article I wrote on Medium. Yeah, please all do. The re all the research I'm talking about, it's all summarized in there. Yeah. And so anyways... So we're like, well, that's really interesting. Like, there's something with the coffee leaf that has never been done before. It's ubiquitous across the world. Everyone knows what coffee is. Everyone knows what tea is. But a lot of people don't drink tea for, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. And we figured, why don't we just look at this for a research project because we were looking for a new topic. And as we started kind of peeling back the layers, we realized that the coffee industry is extremely seasonal, extremely volatile. The growers have been suffering for 30, 40 years trying to make a living. And it's only getting worse because the coffee industry is consolidating a lot. And now a lot of the buying power is only in a few companies. Right. So it's getting even more pressure to sell more product at a less of a price. 
and it's basically at this point now it's never been worse at the detriment of the, the farmers of the growers and, yeah and the Be people working on those farms and a bunch of the people that are migrating to the u.s from central america a bunch of the, like i don't know the ratio the exact number but there's thousands of them that are coffee farmers that are leaving uh, there's no work there was a study not good enough pay. there's no exactly there's not enough pay and so they're like hey well why would i keep pursuing coffee if i'm not making money on an, on an annual basis and then the pricing is getting even worse now it, there's no future yeah so you know we have a friend of ours who's part of the specialty coffee association she's one of the directors and she recently did a study in honduras which is you know two hours north from where we operate in nicaragua and 44 percent of the coffee growers are going to the u.s like half in the wow. country and it represents all the other countries because it's it's the similar situation they're all in the same problem right now and so you look at this industry being like okay there's really no outlet for these folks other than just up and leaving or they or they just burn all the crops and they do cattle instead and, and right. it destroys biodiversity um not exactly a very sustainable industry and beyond that the cattle in nicaragua and central america they're always really thin you know they don't get they're not like big beefy cows like you'd have up here, right? right. Where you get like actual money back in a yeah. sense. What you get down there is like you know really small yield. Yeah, like yeah. So or, it's still not it's still not like a solution for them. Or they do corn, but like it's still it's still monocrop that ends up being, um, you know, highly industrialized or whatever it is. So and still very very seasonal, right? Yeah, you you only have certain harvests, and so after all this stuff, we're like, okay, this looks like this coffee leaf tea thing might be a nice project to work on and for me just on my personal level i'm just curious to see what it's about and where where it takes us because maybe it's an al alternative to to drinking a overdosing yeah uh, exactly caffeine. yeah and maybe it tastes better than coffee you know all the reports you know really early on were like some people saying it tastes good some people saying it tastes bad but this is from like two people in the 1800s right you know like okay. it's literally it was basically unreported it's a very that small point. focus group <laughs> yeah so we had a hunch for like well you know what like if we can do this for a project and it's fun for the school year gravy and if we actually want to pursue this later on you know we have something we have an opportunity to kind of build and refine the project before we go do it in real life by using our time at school to kind of go through that all those like first iterations and whatnot was it a business project Were you, was that it your... was a, it was an international business project okay. yeah yeah got it so um, that's what you were studying in france in france yeah it was a master's of international business and my undergrad was in uh sustainable tourism development and uh and adventure tourism basically and so i'd already been to chile and, and helped uh, consult for indigenous villages to build their own tourism systems and and basically products and tours in chile and so I, I took the same mindset to this whole thing you know it's like at the end of the day like if we're going to be working with people down there they need to benefit more than we do otherwise they're going to see that you know these white people are making all the money and we're getting scraps and that doesn't that doesn't bode well for anyone yeah. and so in our situation it was like let's just go down there and try to give, like, try to put everything we can in their hands, like, empower them as much as possible to go create this. And then if it works, you know, then we can just be the brand that ends up getting it to the consumer. Right. So you're just, you're basically helping them build their own sustainable system. Yeah. Or, like, or we, perpetuating we, we trained, we've trained over 100 people how to harvest and process the leaf at this point. Um, you know, and as it grows, we just have more people involved, more staff. And, and now Enrique is trying like all these wicked like micro lot batches with different processing methods and like aging the leaves different ways. Like right now we're right. And this is under his own accord. Like we didn't tell him to do this stuff. Right. So right now he's doing uh, two batches that are barrel aging in a rum oak barrel. 
Oh, wow. From what, like one of the best rum brands in the world based in Nicaragua. And so in about a year or two, we'll crack them open and, and see how it changes the taste and That's probably do exciting. like a limited edition thing. Yeah. yeah. So that'll can, be coming down the can road. Can you call me when that I, happens? Yeah, I will. I will. I'll be on board with that. So, because yeah. with those 100 people that you've trained to harvest these the coffee leaves, because otherwise they would be, they'd have to migrate elsewhere, right? Yeah. Or they're literally just kind of waiting. They're just waiting for the coffee season to come by. And, and like and barely li- surviving. And they're living off their savings. The issue is that. for three From three months of work. Yeah. And there's, wow. a, there's a lot of studies done by this guy named Chris Bacon. Um, I, I can't remember what university he was with, but we've read all the studies. And essentially, uh, one of the most remarkable uh, stats is that in the Central American coffee work, you know, in the coffee workers of Central America, um, they go through, on average, three months of hunger per year. Of, uh, of food scarcity or food insecurity. And the three months of hunger that they go through are at the tail end of the off season when they've just run out of money. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. they, you make all your cash in three months and you have to sit on it the whole time. And you know- And it's, it's mostly just for food. It's just for food. And like, and the, and the challenge is that like, the challenge is that, you know, this is the reality of things down there. And people might think that I'm, you know, I'm uh, whatever typecasting or something, but a lot of the times the father is, you know, an uneducated labor worker and really likes booze. And so they blow the money's family in like in like two or three months on, you know, beer. And like I say this because I've seen it. You know what I mean? I'm not just making this shit up. Right. And so that's like the unfortunate situation is that, you know, they make a lot of money in like a short amount of time. I mean, a lot. They make enough in a short amount of time. And then by the end of the off season, they're basically just like skimming by as, as, as little as possible. And that's when like the kid can't go to school because he can't afford to pay for, you know, basic books and pencils or whatever. Um, and then things kind of fall apart at that point. That's right. Because most kids, um, I think it was one of your videos that you shared that most kids have to are forced to drop out um, on average around 12 years old. Yeah. 11 or 12 is when they drop out because they can't afford it. They can't afford and they have it. To work. And they've been constantly they've been constantly like going in and out of school. And so like imagine growing up and every year you're moving twice a year and you go to a new school twice a year. It could be the same ones back and forth, but every time you jump back into a program, you're like whatever two or three months behind other people and you're catching up. That's tough on a kid. Dude, yeah. And I've, like by the time you're you I've know, done that, but I was able to eat the whole time. So yeah. <laughs> it's it's not the same. And like by the time you're eleven or twelve, you know, you feel like you've never had a solid foundation because you're always in and out and you're always moving. And so a lot of the a lot of the like the farmers that we've interviewed that are in their thirties and forties they say that, you know, they dropped out because they feel like school isn't for me. It's like, I'm just going to go do what my parents do, which is work at a coffee farm. And I'm just going to do that. They never felt like it was a place that they could be comfortable in. No. And, you know, and it's a hard thing to talk about because it's, it's really sad to like, to see this happen. And, you know, we interviewed um, a few of the moms that work on the farm and they're going back to school at like in grade four and they're in their mid thirties and they're like, trying to like pick up their reading abilities and things like this. And they're like, yeah, like, of course I regret dropping out. Like it sucks, mm-hmm. you know, but I had no choice. And in this situation, this is like, at the end of the day, like all the social impact stuff and social innovation stuff, I think one of like the biggest nuggets of where we can make the most impact and where it has the most holistic long-term benefit is the fact that people don't need to migrate and the kids can stay in school. And so if they do that, they can actually all graduate and all start to get a, a consistent education and a consistent lifestyle where they're not nomadic, basically. And they always 
or they can rather um, just stay in school and keep progressing and start to build a vision for themselves and a future for themselves. Um, and, and meanwhile, the parents are making money in the off season. So, you know, the kids don't have to leave school to help out the family or they don't have to, you know, sacrifice anything because they can just have a consistent living. And so for us, from a socioeconomic perspective, long term, the education component for the kids is going to have the most impact beyond the financial stuff, mm -hmm. because that just opens up doors for everybody. Right. And so that's where, like, for us, the real passion lies in there is like seeing Oscar, you know, who's eight. And we've been we've been seeing every time we go down there, you know, he's in a bunch of our videos and whatever, because like he's just always around and yeah. he's, he's hilarious and loves playing soccer and it's super fun. Um, and it's cool to see that, like, these kids have more opportunity because of the offseason income. And we know that once we scale that, you know, to a real level beyond just kind of our, our small kind of mid startup uh, size, you know, that impacts everyone in the industry. Um, so that's like that's really the goal at the end of the day is to, is to change the the uh, is, is to really stabilize the communities and allow kids to just keep staying in school and not and not have to have their parents like frantically worrying about money. Yeah, because you've already changed the lives of well at least a hundred people and their families, right? Just, just yeah, I mean providing them more um, employment, basically. Yeah, that's the thing, and like, and right now uh, this year we surpassed a few milestones. So we've uh, since lifetime, since day one, we've created over seventy-five thousand work hours in the off season wow. for workers uh, directly getting employed when there's no work, and um, we did some calculations, and if we maxed out the capacity of our farm. It would mean the farm getting uh, the farm workers getting twenty million dollars more revenue in like per year, wow. and that would employ about two thousand workers, uh, or sorry, ten thousand workers, and it represents about two thousand dollars per worker. And to give you some context, like two thousand dollars per worker over an off season, two thousand dollars doesn't sound like a lot up here. No. But the average base salary in Nicaragua annual is three hundred and sixty dollars. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So you're going, you know, almost <laughs> almost seven times more revenue yeah. for actually, uh, you know, six to six to nine months a se uh, a year, and then they have like their coffee harvest where they're gonna make you know four five hundred bucks or whatever it is. Yeah. But then you all of a sudden you're just boosting the whole their whole income by like you know seven or six to eight fold depending on how you do the numbers. But and, yeah. And this is just and you're just on a a plot a certain just a section of an entire farm. Right. Yeah, like there's uh, that would be the whole farm maxed out at yeah. full capacity. But yeah. like again, it's just one farm of you know hundreds in Nicaragua, and you know only one of I don't there's I don't even know how many millions of them in in the world. That's so right. Yeah, there's is, so many. So it's extremely localized, but the impact is so significant. And so does um, do you and uh, Arno and Enrique? Do you all have? plans you have projections for expanding just based on is it based on demand or what what are, what are your plans um, there at this point like uh to give you some idea of how that looks uh like we have a list of i don't know 50 or 60 farmers around the world that have called or emailed us to be like we want to supply we want to learn how to do it wow and basically at this point like we have I think we've tapped into like one percent of what Enrique's capacity is. Wow! So That's as just of one farm. Yeah, like wow. there's still so much more potential there, yeah. you know, and we got to get things really going there on like a on a large, large scale, to then understand the numbers even from a more granular sense. Mm -hmm. Like right now, we're we're comfortable with everything in terms of how it's operating, but as it gets really, really big, we want to see how that looks from a high level. Um, 
and we want to expand eventually to different terroirs and explore you know go back to ethiopia and explore the roots of coffee leaf tea and just kind of you know we've never had a chance to go there but we've done a ton of research we've read everything we could find about it in ethiopia mm-hmm. and also you know using the the harari language and finding the original names of coffee leaf tea and all this stuff like done as much as we can from a distance kind of thing mm-hmm. i would personally love to go discover more because like that's really where it came from right um and so ethiopia would, would be super rad um beyond that like there's other farmers around the world that want to work with us but at this point we basically tell them like you know we can give you like the basics on how to make it because we want people to make this we don't want to be the only ones like holding it you know just to ourselves like really specifically um so that you know we have the all the ip we still share like the major kind of processing methods and then people can kind of fill in the gaps you know over time mm-hmm. it's it's something that it's too it's good a, it's, it's too a, good for for people <laughs> it's too good of a cause to i know yeah withhold and, and okay. like as much as it's tricky like you know there's some aspects like earlier you asked me like what how old the leaf is you know when yeah, we yeah. pick Th- there's like little details like that i'd rather leave out but at the end of the day like you can figure it out pretty quickly if you just start processing it sure and so. it's, it's all it's an experiment in any, any probably every step of the way yeah and in different regions that is completely different you could be completely wrong about ethiopia i mean Who knows? i'm sure you've done lots of research but like the actual processing is different everywhere yeah indonesia they use like a like traditionally there they call it kawadon and they would do uh, basically like a Chinese style pan fried in a wok, which is what oh. they do in China for green tea. A lot of oh, the green okay. teas are like that. Um, you go to Ethiopia, they just do sun drying and then they they infuse it. We did the sun drying method at first, but it's super grassy. Mm. It's like it doesn't it doesn't have that complexity and that kind of mouthfeel of a nice like crafted tea where it goes through enzymatic changes with oxidation and some light fermentation, et cetera. So it's like having like, okay, if you want to make a beer, you know, and you skip the fermentation, you're basically just drinking grain water. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it ha- and it's really, it's, it's, it doesn't have that complexity. It doesn't have that flavor um, in that scenario. Or if you look at like, uh, you know, grape juice and wine, you're drinking grape juice if it's right. not fermented, right? Yeah. So it's a completely What's different product. What's the point? Product. What's the point, really? <laughs> it, it, it's a completely different product at the end of the day um, from what is originally, you know, what was originally kind of explored and consumed in Ethiopia at this point. Um, and, like, we've had farmers, like, send us their samples of coffee leaf tea so we can try them out and all this stuff. And cool. there's been, like, a couple guys that have been really close in terms of the flavor, but it's still, like, by tasting it, we can tell – where like where they skipped a step or how oh, it's okay. different in the yeah. method yeah like we we've we've done it so we know yeah i've seen um, i've seen a lot of your videos it's um you have a room full of different well it's taste testing right you you know you have your different cups laid out on a table and then you just spoon in like a yeah spoon of this one that one it's it's a art and science right but very much science um mm. which is funny because like you know in high school i was doing chemistry honors and physics and all these things and whatever I'll, um, I'll never use this in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone, uh, you remember saying that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's funny, like to go to eventually go back to yeah. like the more natural plant world, and then using and then learning a lot about the chemistry of the leaf and and how the enzymes in the leaf change things and the flavor profiles, and it's just like it's just endlessly interesting mm. if you're if you're like a total beverage 
and like kind of health food nerd. Um, I think I consider myself one of those people. You, I would hope so. I mean, you, you should be the expert, right? One of them, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So. And anyway. you and you've taken this. It's not. It's not a new concept. Like you said, they've like steeping the leaves of a coffee plant and turning it into a beverage is not a new thing, but. Like it's been around for you just said like thousands of years of practice. Yeah, in in, in Ethiopia especially. Right, yeah. but it but it, it has it hasn't been like marketed essentially, right? Or no, like never. It was never crafted with like actual like tea processing methods in the sense of like multi step with oxidation, fermentation, drying, etc. Mm -hmm. It was always just like either sun dried, you know, overnight, or rather, I guess not overnight, but sun dried twenty four hours and then brewed in water. So like you're skipping a lot of the steps that make that interesting flavor. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why when the Europeans found out about it in the 17 and 1800s, they're like, yeah, it doesn't have a future because it just doesn't taste as good. You know, it tastes really grassy. Like, and they the, just left it. They're at like that. the locals drink it, but like whatever. Oh, and, and they just completely overlooked it. There were a couple people uh, cited in, in that Medium article I'll send you uh, that I, I linked in there where they mention how if someone were to craft these in specific ways and create different varieties, it might have a lot of market appeal and would help the farmers. And like, I only found that article when I was writing uh, the medium article like six months ago or whatever it was. Right. So that, and so, so I, like, I'm still finding new. You're like, this was me. This was me all along. <laughs> and they were calling to me. But I know it's weird yeah, because yeah. like, I only found that particular article actually like this past year. Yeah. Whereas all the other things I found, you know, from the 1800s, et cetera, we're actually from, you know, our day one doing the project at school. Yeah. And so even now we're still finding like old, you know, relics that talk about it and mentions from, you know, the the late kind of late 1700s, et cetera, that, that mention it. And we're just like, man, there's like still more yeah. kind of traces of this. You're the Indiana Jones of the, <laughs> the coffee and tea world. I love it. I don't know about that, but I'll, ta I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Yeah, you got the hat. You got a hat, and then you need a whip, and <laughs> maybe don't bring a whip. The when whip you're going might to the send the wrong message. <laughs> yeah, it might send the wrong message. Yeah, oh my true. god. <laughs> okay, no whip. Take it, take it back. <laughs> and okay, but you've, you've, but you've been you've been marketing, like as much as you can and as far as you can. Um, you're in lots of stores. I know in Vancouver, I've seen you on shelves and, and, and countertops. Um, but how far do you stretch? Do you have an online presence? Yeah, so in the, in the U.S., we sell mainly on the West Coast, yeah. uh, Whole Foods and a handful of different retailers in California, um, as well as a little bit in the Northwest. And then in Canada, we're, we're more, we have more roots here, obviously. Uh, we sell nationally with Whole Foods. Uh, we're with a bunch of different retailers. A lot of them are health food stores in the end, um, but we sell as far as Halifax, so we're, we're right. fully national. We actually, I think we have more locations selling in Ontario than we do in B.C. Okay, wow. Yeah. Which is which is funny. I mean, BC is also small in the sense that really most people are just in the southwest. That's right. So. Yeah, it's just just bigger in Ontario. It's more people. That yeah, makes sense. And how far? And, and you're in the states. You sell in the states. I saw you. You had an interview on a was it a Colorado based news station mor morning show or yeah. news show or something like that. Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. Because I mean, this is this is not your first interview <laughs> colorado <laughs> loves health foods yeah and so that and like they're colorado and especially uh denver and boulder colorado yeah. extremely similar to vancouver really extremely okay. denver is very similar to vancouver um f even from like a, a purchasing behavior and like a kind of mindset um aspect 
And then Boulder is like the small cousin that's 45 minutes away that is basically the same thing as Squamish. Oh, okay. And so it's, it's very, very similar um, in terms of the environment and the, the people and how they think about products, et cetera. You know, and you got hipsters in Vancouver. You could literally just pick them up and drop them in Denver and they would look like they're fully at home. So okay. it's very similar. And you've done lots of, uh, I guess, trade shows and expos all across. Well, Tons, I know you were in, you were yeah. in, I think you go to LA and San Fran pretty often. Yeah, quite a bit. Okay. Um, What's, and what do you do? Obviously you're there, you're, you're selling your tea, you're promoting your brand. What has been the biggest or most common reactions when you're educating? Cause I'm sure you're trying to educate people um, because coffee leaf tea, um, it's probably not very understandable right, right yeah. from the get, right? Yeah, for most people it's not extremely intuitive. Um, and we know that, you know, we've tried different names, different very intentional, combos. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, like it is, brand it, it yeah. is intentional at yeah. this point. Yeah. Because like in the beginning we were trying like the, you know, traditional Ethiopian name and then it was confusing because we were talking about our sourcing from Nicaragua and then people started thinking that Nicaragua was in Africa and like, it was just became this huge oh, <laughs> mess. I know. Yeah. yeah. And like, and so we didn't want to get into that realm. And mm -hmm. the more that we explained the product to people, they would come back to us and be like, oh, so it's a coffee leaf tea. And we're like, yeah, we told, we told you <laughs> that's what it is, I guess. Yeah. And so we just stuck with that. Um, I'd say like the the most common initial reaction is, you know, a little bit of confusion, but also a curiosity. Um, and people usually ask us, like, uh, does it taste like coffee or is it highly caffeinated? And it's a no to both of those. It's mildly caffeinated, like a green tea. Mm -hmm. And it tastes yeah, that's what you equate it most to, right? Yeah, green, green tea, tea is probably the most comparable thing in terms of like the health benefits and nutritional profile, etc. Um, from a taste perspective, it tastes kind of like a roasted green tea or like a or like a, um, kind of like an oolong tea. But again, it doesn't have the tannins that tea has. And so you don't need to worry about the steep time. And it's it's much, much smoother because of that. It also seems to be a little bit sweeter in taste. Um, the tea leaf itself is more tannin, t more tannin heavy, and doesn't really have a lot of sweetness. Whereas the coffee leaf has extremely low tannins and has a bit more sweetness in it. And okay. so I, that's just the chemistry of the leaf, really. At the end of the day, that creates that kind of distinct flavor. Um, but th at the end of the, you know, when when people ask these questions, we answer them. You know, at the same time, they're sampling it. When they try it, they're always blown away by the flavor. And, like, that's that's just strictly, you know, the, the just the coffee leaf. Mm -hmm. You know, people love the original. Original is still our bestseller every year. That's right. And, uh, yeah, it's not it's no trick. It's just no, it's you know, just it's what it, way it is. If, yeah. So what have people told you what they were expecting for, like, a flavor from a flavor standpoint? Uh, people build this idea in their mind that it would be very bitter or it would taste like coffee. Right. Um, but it really doesn't. Um, in in some like, cases, oh, it's more like tea, and we're like, yes. In <laughs> some cases, you can really you can see the uh, subconscious at play. Okay. Where they're like, oh yeah, like I can kind of taste the coffee in there, and it's like, honestly, nah. No, you can't. Nah, nah bro. <laughs> There's like literally no coffee taste at yeah. all because it's it's a completely different part of the plant. It's do, entirely different. Have you? Do you think that could be a detriment to coffee lovers or are coffee lovers? pretty on board with this thing uh you know what our our primary customer uh and not i don't say this from a targeting perspective like inbound customers they're primarily coffee or sorry tea drinkers because they hear about us in the tea world mm -hmm. and then 
the secondary is coffee drinkers that are trying to get off of coffee or at least reduce their like afternoon coffee intake and they a lot of people like the coffee drinkers from what we've noticed in the surveys and just you know hundreds of conversations or thousands of conversations has been that they want to take away their like third fourth fifth coffee of the day or their second and they but they still want their morning coffee because they still need the morning coffee um and and then they want to try using tea but it's always bitter and like the only brands that they really know are like david's tea where everything's like very you know kind of dressed up and then other ones that are more bitter and traditional like twinings or lipton or whatever um and if you don't know tea like it can be very intimidating at first because there's literally like millions of options Mm -hmm. and there's so much to learn about it and the one thing that the tea world has done um to its own detriment is build up this idea of like specificity and and complexity in preparation Mm. so like every tea you get will have like a time and a temperature and like fair enough that's the optimal way to drink your product you should tell people how to do that i i respect that and i also support it but what has happened as a secondary effect is that now everyone's like oh like tea's like i gotta do it at this temperature with this time and then i forget it and then all of a sudden tastes like metal and it's just like ugh, like it's so high maintenance i don't even care right i just want to have a coffee that takes two minutes to brew and i have it and it's ready you know and no bs so in our scenario we're just lucky that the coffee leaf doesn't have the tannins and you just use like freshly boiled water. You don't need to have like a lower temperature water, you know, like a green tea, they recommend about 80, 85 degrees. And our tea is like, no, like just do a full boil and just, you know, crank it, whatever. That's it. And it's, just and, and then just in. leave it in. Like yeah. you don't need to take it out at all. And so, and then you can even do a second steep after that once you're done the first cup. So yes. you still get more out of it. That's one thing I, I learned. Like I, obviously I've, I've had some of your tea, um, I think it was as, as long as two years ago. And yeah, I reused I reused the bag and had a very nice cup of tea like three times. Yeah, exactly, it was like yeah. I'm sure you can yeah because you, you can reuse it. You can use it. You you advertise using it in so many ways too, right? Like I mean, people people know that there's iced tea and whatnot, but you, you can ice your teas. Um, I think you have um, you have like a, some sort of a cocktail. We have tons of cocktails. That, yes. Yeah. Wise cocktails, bro. Right. The wise cocktails. Oh, you're on top of that. Yeah, we, yeah. we did a we did a, a wise mixology party last May and featured like five cocktails that we that we basically handmade and crafted. Um, all of them except for one were sugar free. The only one that had sugar was uh, was one using the Earl Grey. We added a little bit of maple syrup um, just because it was a really nice pairing with the rest of the recipe. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they're all sugar free, and and that's. That's kind of the, the beauty, again, of the coffee leaf is that you're not fighting bitterness. You know, a lot of the, and even for like a tea blender, there's these massive tea blending companies that sell to almost every cafe and, and major retailer that you know. And they're all based in Germany. For whatever reason, they're all in Hamburg. Mm. And there's a lot of historical reasons for that. But essentially, they're all using green tea and black tea and blending with things. And, you know, when you have a black tea, there's an, there's an astringency there and like a deep earthiness. So you kind of have to balance it with something else. You know, you add a sweetener or you add stevia or you add whatever. And, you know, that to kind of bring that profile up. Whereas the coffee leaf itself is so balanced to begin with, all we do is add like a bit of ginger, like dried ginger chunks and some dried lemon peel. Mm-hmm. And then you have this like insanely nice ginger lemon tea and you don't need to sweeten anything. And so it's that has been really just lucky for us in the end. But like we knew that it tasted good like day one when we started making our own batch 
and that's where we're like okay this actually has legs because if it was really bitter and it was gross, we're like, oh man, this might take a lot of work. And then because you have to educate we might have to on really how to it. yeah how to how to manipulate the recipe just to enjoy. But then exactly. you, but then you're not overcoming all the steps of just normal tea drinking. Exactly, okay. it made our lives a lot easier yeah. from a product development perspective because we didn't have to add in a bunch of things to make it like you know ridiculously complex just to have a nice balanced flavor. It's already balanced on its own. So then you can just kind of highlight different notes that you want. And just kind of add it in subtly versus having like this, you know, flavor bomb, you know, plus stevia, plus this to have something that was, you know, enjoyable. Mm, so you're an extremely simple alternative, a simpler alternative to regular teas, but also an outlet, like almost like a, you know, a little buoy, a lifesaver to people that want to wean themselves off of like extreme coffee consumption, yeah. and, for example. And, you know, th I know that this is extremely anecdotal, but... You know, we've talked to so many people that are trying to reduce coffee mm -hmm. and I, I'm still trying to find studies online of like of like, you know, uh, market studies or, or, or whatever it is, like even university studies, anything surveys just to to see the stats on people reducing their caffeine intake or at least reducing their coffee intake. Mm -hmm. But it's so hard to find it. No one's really done a big one yet. And I wish I had the time and, the, and especially the money because it costs money to do a lot of the research. I wish I had the money to, to just go do a massive blanket survey or like hire a third party, just do like a big survey and be like, are you reducing coffee? You know, yes or no, how much, et cetera. Just like basic questions. Yeah. Um, and you know, my partner used to be five coffees a day and this Monday was the first day with no coffee and they've been transitioning out of coffee for about a year. Wow. And so, you know, now they don't rely on caffeine and you're not like, this is what I don't like about coffee. Like I like the taste of coffee. I like a really nice proper espresso, but the caffeine hits and it's so aggressive and you just feel like you're always fighting to be up again. Mm. You know, it's, and at the end of the day, it's a drug, you know, and it's right. like, it's a very common, cheap alternative to heroin. Oh, sure. I, and okay. I'm saying, I know that's, a, right. I know there's a bit of shock value there. <laughs> I, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, but that's, the, that's the reason why I say that yeah. is because think if you think of it in like in like a hard drug perspective you know as soon as you have it you're great for 20 30 minutes and then the down cycle is terrible and you're suffering for like the, the next four more. or five hours and you're extremely dehydrated and again your adrenal uh glands are shot your cortisol spiked so your your nervous system is also affected and then you know you drink another coffee you're like oh yeah i love it i'm so good I, now i feel i'm flying again and yeah. it's like well how is that sustainable and so it the you know some of the some of the vocabulary that we use to kind of describe that that mindset or that difference with coffee versus uh, coffee leaf tea or even just regular tea as well is why would you ride a roller coaster when you can just float on a cloud and have like this nice you know it you still get the caffeine high but it's really it's more subtle and then it just weans off slowly and then you can actually get some sleep right and so that's like that's for me has been a huge game changer because like i don't drink any coffee anymore the very odd time I have coffee is because we're in this like really nice cafe and I want to try their beans because like I've been to the farms. I know how they roast and everything. And I, I like the taste of an espresso versus but seeking that spike. No. Yeah. I don't. I only do it for a flavor thing and it's still very occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty rare because I, I feel like crap after and like even my, my co-founder Arno, like he still drank coffee when we were starting this business. And in the last couple of years, because we've just, you know, we've been in the tea world so much he was drinking maybe one coffee a day but drinking tea after mm -hmm. and now he's like like even i remember this morning six months ago in the office he's like dude i had a coffee today and like i just 
haven't had one in a while, and I feel like shit. Right. And it's like you feel hungover. When you haven't had it in a while and you have it again, you feel terrible after, and you realize how how tough it is on the body. Mm-hmm. I've got – I'm sure a lot of people have this. I have a love-hate with coffee. Um, some people, they're just like all about it. They'll drink it all the time, right? They, they absolutely love it. I, I like that spike. Um, and I do like the taste and especially the, when you get like a nice espresso or properly made coffee. Um, I usually have it black, maybe a little bit of milk. I don't right. like too much. I like I like the raw taste. But <laughs> then I drink too much or then I crash and then, or my stomach is upset. And then I'm like, why do I do this? And <laughs> like again and again, I keep telling myself that. And so um, I'm in that realm. I'm, I'm looking to – I'm not I'm not super heavy consumer, but I I do have that love hate that I wish yeah I didn't have. So so I think and you know, as I thought of you to come in this show, I'm like, you know what, I gotta get more into this coffee leaf tea as an alternative, right? And, and just it, have it on the counter instead of well, next to the beans. I don't think I'll give up coffee ever. Yeah. But, but but like um, but even just beyond, you know, as much as it as it is my kind of purpose to like preach coffee leaf tea like i still highly encourage people to drink other teas right like people are like oh well i can't give up the caffeine i I need it because like you know i got four kids and i work two jobs and like i i understand that at the same time if you realize that you don't need the caffeine you can still do all those things and you can do it you can feel better and if if you really want a caffeine alternative like a highly caffeinated alternative that feels better on the body and is more it's a bit of an acquired taste but if you get a, a, a decent or, or a high quality matcha okay. like a proper matcha green tea like the days where i know i'm gonna work till midnight because we have like insane deadlines or whatever i'll have matcha like okay. worst case scenario i'm like hey i know i'm not gonna get any sleep after this but i need energy just to kind of get me up because i'm short and like you know so it's just a less, I, less I fall, extreme it's you have similar caffeine amount but it's way easier on the body. Mm. There's a few compounds in there that help to uh, calm the jitters. And beyond that, it's just kind of a more subtle uh, experience. Um, obviously, again, it's a quiet taste. It tastes nothing like coffee. Uh, it is very much a green tea taste. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's other alternatives that are just way easier. And in our scenario, the way that we look at it is like, well, I could have like a matcha latte that'll cost $6 and or $5 or whatever. And it'll be a ton of energy and ton of caffeine it'll get me going for a few hours or i can just make like a couple cups of just regular tea or coffee leaf tea and get you know 30 30 milligrams out of that each and it just still keeps me going but then i I guarantee i can sleep tonight versus being like a huge high and then having to slowly wean off and eventually you know not be able to sleep and the reason why i say that just to kind of cap that thought is caffeine has a six hour half-life okay so if you have if you have uh, a drip coffee, like a medium or, tall or a larger drip coffee, you're looking at about 150 milligrams of, of caffeine, depending where you buy it. If you have that at noon, by 6 p.m., you're still going to have 75 milligrams of caffeine. And by midnight, you'll have 32.5 you know, whatever milligrams still in your system. Mm. So if you imagine this, if you have a coffee leaf tea at, you know, at any time of the day, for example, you're getting about 30 milligrams of caffeine. It's like have it's like if you drink a coffee at noon, it's like having tea immediately at midnight. 
Okay. And then you're yeah, so right. you're so you have the same amount of caffeine yeah, in the end. Yeah. And so if you realize like that is like that's why there's such a spike is because you have this crazy spike and it's this really long tail of the caffeine still in your body, even though it, you don't even feel it sometimes. You feel tired after, but it's still in your blood system. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of people have like a strong coffee at noon, and they're wondering why they can't sleep at midnight. It's because you still have like 30, 40 milligrams in your system. Right. So it, it stays in. Yeah. It doesn't disappear time. after a couple hours. Right. Like your mind thinks that because you're off of the high and now you're going down. Yeah. And you immediately assume, okay, now I'm done. Like the coffee's done. It's out of my system, you know, but it's still very much in your blood. Mm-hmm. And it has, it probably has more. Well, I mean, I don't know how much effect mentally and physically like the difference the ratios there but um i've definitely found that too or it's like I, I don't feel it in my stomach anymore or anything like that but my mind is still going like, you, you know <laughs> yeah, it still yeah. has i'm sure you i'm sure you've experienced that but um now as you've so you said when you when you first went down to nicaragua you and arno were 24 26 yeah just about right yeah. so I mean, you're not much older than that now, but uh, what's been the biggest difference between then and now? So, like, for yourselves personally and, and, and business-wise, like, what did day one in, in the farms of Nicaragua, the coffee farms of Nicaragua look like compared to now? Like, what what's the biggest thing for you personally and, 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 and the business-wise? Um, I'll do personally first, just because yeah. that was the order you asked it in. Yeah. Um, I think personally, the, I think the biggest thing i've learned and how i've changed uh i don't know the way i work or the way i operate on a daily basis is uh, that's a really hard question um i don't i think like i again i used to work super hard um like insane amount of hours and you know still wearing like seven hats you know still doing a lot of the marketing and design all this stuff um, but now I've learned how to really manage my time. And I know, I know that's a, a, an obvious kind of cliche thing, but specifically meaning in the sense that I really block my days and I've been actually more very recently trying to implement it even further. So like in the last few weeks, I've been doing crazy amounts of design because we're working on, an, on new products for spring and summer. And I gotta, I gotta basically just finalize all the designs in the next couple weeks. Right. So I've been pulling these like really long days where I leave the office at midnight or whatever. Um, but to make sure that I still don't lose handle and everything else and I'm not spread on like 10 things at once, I've actually kind of actively decided to do all of my admin and all of like the clerical things and the follow-ups and the, the communication things on like Mondays. And then if I have anything urgent to do, you know, from Tuesday to Thursday in that, in that kind of realm, then I'll take care of it on the fly. But I won't even really look at my emails that much. And I'll just scan at the end of the day and be like, okay, I have to answer this guy today because it's urgent. Or like, that's, this can wait till Friday. And then I've been kind of actively blocking my creative days. So the days where I need to design and do a lot of creative thinking or, and like dive into some stuff uh, with focus, I've been doing a bit more work at home. But also still at the office, I don't even look at my email. And I strictly think about creative projects all day. And I've been doing that basically like Tuesday, Wednesday, or like Wednesday, Thursday in the week. Yeah. Um, and then by Friday, I kind of wrap up the designs. We see where we're at like creatively and we, re- we kind of review internally, be like, okay, like this is cool. Let's, go, let's start testing this one. And then, you know, as soon as like noon or one o'clock hits, then I start going through 
all the admin stuff to get things ready for the week after. Right. So yeah, so like, like focus blocking basically. Yeah, like yeah. honestly, because like there's just too much stuff to do, and man, you get pulled in every direction. Yeah. It's really easy to get distracted when you're doing a lot of different things, and you're responsible for a lot of different aspects of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, I know people have said that as like a cliche, or like you know, you got to manage your time well. But specifically speaking, from a tactical perspective, um, I've been finding that blocking days for like for a kind of buckets of work has been uh, more effective than I expected. Mm, and you've and you've improved that from day one to now. You've like dramatically. Yeah, like because in that. the beginning it was like the my work hours were so crazy because like we were living in Nicaragua and, and and just like living in like a billet house basically. Right. And I would work, I would get up at like noon. Um, and we would do all the, all the meetings from like noon to 5 PM, you know, that we had to do. And then we would have dinner, maybe make a drink, whatever. And then I would start working again on the creative stuff from like 10 PM till 6 AM or like 5 AM because it was quiet. And plus when you're in Nicaragua, Wi-Fi is really bad. So if you're (laughs) awake and everyone else is working and and awake and using Wi-Fi, like I was building a website. With with right. having low bandwidth, it's a it's a pain in the ass. Right. And so I was like, yeah. hey, well, I'll do it at night because like there's no distractions. I can work quickly. The Wi-Fi is good. Whatever. So I had that kind of flow of doing things. And so in a, in a sense, it was also blocking time, not on like a, a day by day basis, but more so like uh, just in kind of doing nights and doing creative stuff at night instead of uh, trying to do it, you know, in the middle of the day while you're doing everything else, which. I fell into that trap basically when we once we started launching the business and working in Vancouver because here everything is nine to five, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be active. So I can't I can't wake up at noon, you know, and then just like only do a couple hours work and then work at, at midnight. It doesn't work like that. So mm-hmm. now I do it more like blocking specific days for like, OK, these next two days, not looking at my email or no. Tell me if you need anything. But like, you know, if only if it's important or if it's urgent yeah. otherwise you know i'll see you on thursday kind of thing and i just crush out a bunch of the creative stuff fantastic and then what about the business side of things like what what how do you feel it's grown and maybe ch- um adja- uh, like evolved evolved from from day one to now um yeah tell us about the growth and maybe like the difference between day one and now uh i'd say from from like uh, you know, even from a marketing standpoint, uh, I'll speak on that because that's really where my focus is. Mm-hmm. In the very beginning, like you know, the the start with why Simon Sinek Golden Circle, right? We yeah. we applied that very heavily, and everything, everything from design style to copywriting was all based about creating work for you know off season coffee farmers that are really struggling, and you know it's always been the core mission. But we learned over time that if we were leading with that story a lot, people made this immediate assumption that the product quality was going to be low Mm. and that when they would buy, it was more of like this pity purchase and that you wouldn't get the follow up. Um, So they had this like kind of jaded mindset that because it's a it's like a a do good product, it would be lesser quality Mm. or lesser value. Because that's the only way that you can maintain as a profit for profit business organization it was yeah like that's it was, their conception it, yeah it was their their the way that they perceive the product and the idea was like oh like i'm gonna help these guys out they're doing something noble and like you know i'll only do it because i want to try it and if it's you know it's probably not going to be the best tea in the world but you know it's something cool and you know we got a lot of feedback from either and also people in the industry like just in marketing industry in general that were like you know this is a 
it's like you're on the right track, but it's not quite there. Like people still want to purchase because something tastes good. They still want quality before they look at intrinsic benefits for, you know, downstream suppliers and things like that. Right. So, and in the beginning we're like, no man, that's not how it is. Like new school, like screw that, whatever. Um, like really believing in the golden circle thing. And I'm not saying that we don't because we still apply the same method, but we've done it in a more balanced sense where now we lead with the product attributes and the quality of the taste. And then what is the kicker for most people is the fact that it, every single, you know, every single box of tea creates uh, 30 minutes employment, um, you know, things like that. Right. And that, that ends up being like the loyalty component and like the kind of just gets you over the hump to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll try this because that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'm curious to already try it cause you already said it tastes great and it's got these unique aspects and benefits. But the fact that you're doing a direct supply chain and it's all in house and you're employing people when they need it most, Bonus. I mean, that's exactly, it became, instead of being the leading attribute, we, we switched it as a bonus mm-hmm. and it's been a lot better for conversations and customer journey and, and just kind of, you know, overall the perception of the brand itself. Mm-hmm. So that you feel like that's probably been the biggest shift is just like, like basically the order of yeah the order of like your one two three right and like it takes years to figure that out for everybody mm-hmm. everyone thinks they got it like dialed the first day trust me it'll be different in two years right and um and the thing that was like kind of the sad realization for us was like we put so much faith into people being like oh yeah they're really going to care about the social impact they're really going to connect with this as like the leading story right but at the end of the day They've never been to a coffee farm. They've never met the people there. They don't even know what a coffee plant looks like. I didn't either in the beginning. And they're not very connected with it. No, there's no connection between coffee, the product itself, and then the growers. But other they, than a few roasters that will highlight their growers, but mm-hmm. beyond that, like the the in the consumer eye, it's very, very disconnected. And they don't even know it's seasonal. So it's like there's a huge amount of education to do, but we, we put a lot of faith in people in the general market to jump on this because it's a social impact product at the end of the day though we're like you know what people are inherently selfish it's maslow's hierarchy of needs i need to survive help myself first before i help somebody else that's just the way humanity is so we we kind of succumb to the more realist perspective of like okay i guess at this point let's start trying to sell strictly on the taste and benefits and then we'll layer in that story Mm -hmm. but it's part of the brand through and through because it's part of the logo it's part of you know all of our other vernacular and and how we do the copywriting it's all built for that fashion so it was really like playing with the the hierarchy of the messaging and then you notice that people are like already sold on point one and two and they don't even get to three Mm -hmm. they actually might only realize that there's a social impact thing on their second purchase and then they'll be like holy crap i actually didn't even think about that Mm -hmm. you know and then all of a sudden it becomes this like new bonus and another new benefit and then it makes them feel intrinsically uh, good about the, about making the purchase, and so motivated to buy again. Yeah, again. So it was it was really playing with like the one two three kind of pitch. Yeah. Every product, every service in the world has the one two three, and you know we just made the uh, you know we made the social impact thing as more of the bonus factor. I love that so much because I mean I've I've seen your branding. I think it's fantastic. Like going to see just the box in the store <laughs> on the shelf is like it's beautiful. It's catchy. Um, but you have on the other on the other sides, not the front facing, the side facing and back facing sides of the box, like 
basically what you stand for that bonus um humanitarian side of, of your right, business yeah um and I, I love that so much and it, it's 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 beautiful artwork too and i think you <laughs> i think you nailed it like every time you <laughs> cheers yeah. I'll, I'll take the compliment yeah yeah it's a labor of love man mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of hours yeah so tell us um we probably have to wrap up here but um tell us uh what's what's going on wise monkey what's what's coming up and where can people find you um so we have big plans in the spring summer it's still a bit early to give any sort of real indication as to when it'll happen um but we do have a whole new product line coming okay it's not going to be dried tea oh so i'll let you just put that together okay i can't technically say anything it's wet tea (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, yeah uh, so that's happening in spring, summer. That's what we're working super hard on right now. Um, hence why we're doing all the uh, crazy hours. Um, but in terms of finding us um, in stores, yeah, like if you're a Whole Foods Ontario, it's all over. Um, honestly, like the easiest way to get the product is Amazon. Okay. We sell on Amazon Prime in U.S. and Canada. Okay. Um, locally in Vancouver, it's at Choices and a, a handful of the retailers like Famous Foods, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, other than that, it's wisemonkey.com or at wisemonkey, uh, on Instagram. And if you want to, um, contact me personally, it's at YCEO and everything that's spelled wise is with a Z. It's not an S just a heads up. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and then people can, <laughs> no can find you. Yeah. That's awesome. Great. Well, um, I don't know how many podcasts you listen to, but I, I did have one last question for you. Yeah, sure. Um, what is your what, what what's your favorite podcast it's none of your business oh okay <laughs> all right well thank you guys so much for listening Dude, to this episode name. thank you um yeah so this has been max revey thank you so much for being on the show yeah my pleasure <laughs> thank you so much guys all right see ya thank you so much for listening to another episode of Nanya. Please share this episode with your network and shoot me a comment on Twitter at Skylar underscore Dietz or on our Instagram page at Nanya Podcast. So until next time, have a great day.